Welcome to the Share Life Podcast with Jason Scott Montoya, where we explore stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Welcome to a special edition of the Share Life Podcast. We're in an ongoing series as part of the discovery process for my next book project, From the Garden to the Cross, How Jesus's Harrowing Mission Shows Us the Way Forward. In this discussion, we're going to reflect on the interrogation of Jesus by the religious leaders after his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm Jason Scott Montoya, author and creator, sharing stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Today, I'm joined by Nick, Benji, and Todd. Nick, say hello. Hello, everyone. Uh, Nick Bryant is the founder of Nick Print, a printing company that prints everything except money. He launched his business uh, on April 1st, 2006, an April Fool's joke to himself, and is a business he's sustained ever since. Benji Hollis, say hello, Benji. Hello. Uh, Benji is the vice president of sales for the annual Chick-fil-A Bowl and also involved in a leukemia legacy fund inspired by his daughter, Anna Charles' devastating battle with cancer that brought him to Jesus. Todd Michaels, Todd, say hello. Hello, everyone. Todd helps people know and share their story wholeheartedly through his work with the 315 Project and Story Drive. So before we jump into the discussion today about Jesus being interrogated in the middle of the night by the religious leaders, I'd like to take a step back and self-reflect on the status of the Christian church, particularly in America, which is where we all live. We're about to discuss a scene where an innocent man is interrogated, where false witnesses are brought out against him, and where human intentions to convict supersede the truth of the situation. When we look at around at believers and perhaps ourselves at times or in the past, we often seem to look more like the deceptive religious leaders than we do with Jesus. What's going on? <laughs> Who wants to go first? <laughs> go ahead, Todd or Nick. <laughs> Nick, go ahead, man. <laughs> well, I mean, things definitely are heading in an upward direction. I mean, I don't remember the Gallup numbers exactly, but I think in the last dozen years, the number of people who claim to be believers has fallen like 12%. Uh, I don't actually think the number of believers has fallen by that amount, but the number of uh, people that it was culturally convenient to claim that has definitely gone down. Yeah, so, nominal and, Christianity. Yeah, trend is likely to continue. Yeah. So what what is that? How does that relate to our witness and who we are? Are are we are we becoming? Um, are you suggesting that the people that that are acting like what we're about to read um, weren't Christians to begin with, or what are you suggesting with your, your proclamation there, Nick? The, the people in the passage. Yeah. Like are the people and, and how that relates to what you just said, like are the people that are nominal Christians, are they the ones that are giving us real Christians a bad name or is, or is there something else going on there? Well, everybody's got their issues, but, uh, yeah. There's definitely a large contingent of people. I mean, even genuine believers, you know, have have shortcomings. That's why we need Jesus to begin yeah. with. Yeah. Uh, but there are a <laughs> lot of people who Christianity is not, Jesus is not why they're alive. It's partially on the plate. It's to decorate the plate, but it's not yeah. part of the dish. You don't mm -hmm. eat it. It's just there. Yeah. 
so it's a consumer centric kind of uh posture towards towards jesus and christianity yeah yeah in in comparing today's culture with that time and place this narrative doesn't really tell us what his disciples were doing Mm -hmm. so i'd like to think that um those of us who are disciples in the 21st century might be wondering i wonder what the disciples were doing at (laughs) during this particular time and i think we see some interpretations like in mel gibson's yeah christ and i'm not sure what they'll do with the chosen if they get that far but they don't it doesn't the I don't, I'd be curious what you guys are seeing in the gospels as to what are these disciples doing at this, at the time of the interrogation and the the time of his surrender. Well, (laughs) we know one guy is running around naked (laughs) (laughs) without his robe. He got scared so bad. Um, The other guys are hiding. One guy's warming himself up. Um, Yeah. Judas, I I guess, betrayed Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, John is maybe the only one that it seems to be implied <laughs> that he's he's there and he's not going to do something yeah terribly bad. But yeah, that, know, I, that leaves like what ten or more. Where's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. everyone else? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, I think part of it too, and I think I think um, I think you guys touched on it. You know, um, part of the problem is that we're all sinners. <laughs> yeah i mean jesus came he, he came to save us um you know when you look at church too it's a it's a collection of of we're all sinners yeah in, in that building we all need jesus um so i know that hasn't changed and i heard somebody say you know the problem one of the problems was when when the flood came sinners walked on the boat and <laughs> sinners walked off the boat <laughs> that's why we need jesus yeah we weren't merged entirely (laughs) i think we you know you could certainly take some liberties to draw comparisons between today's culture but i think in fairness to those that walked when jesus was walking i mean if they if they pull this uh under the radar overnight you know (laughs) unjust proceeding it's like there aren't where how are the witnesses that were healed you know it's not a sin of omission that they didn't <laughs> show up at the court proceeding. So, uh, you know, yeah. well, I guess part of me would, what's when I look at the, the scene culturally in America and the political setting right now, and I can't help but think that what happened to Jesus then would, would happen again, especially by people that, that are, that are proclaimed Christians. Right. I don't know. Am I, am I reaching too far with that type of a statement? No, Jesus himself said it, that, you know, he will be betrayed and, you know, that, that, you know, not everyone that says Lord, Lord is a Christian and you'll be betrayed by family members. And, you know, he's prophesying betrayal for those that are going to follow him. Yeah. You know, I think it's true in every generation, really. Yeah. Yeah. He said, if if they hated me, they're going to hate you. They hated me first. So do we, so if we're not hated, we should be, be more reflective. <laughs> hey, that's exactly right. Yep. The red flag. So is there, what is it about us that we want to resist that 
that conclusion, Benji, the, that we are sinners, that these people aren't that different than us, even though we want to see them as the villain and ourselves as the hero. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know, man. That's a loaded question. I mean, we're all just flawed. And it yeah. just goes back to the beginning of creation. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I know me, I'm a selfish person. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, the thing I love about this passage, though, is that I think they were looking for, you know, a man, a Messiah to overthrow Rome. Yeah. And pretty much Jesus says, in a way, and this kind of goes back to what C.S. Lewis said, but he's, um, you know, he said, well, I am, I'm more than a man. I'm, I'm the son of the son yeah. of man. You know, I am God. I'm coming. I'm, I'm the judge. I'll be back to judge you. Um, and he left it pretty black or white right there. I mean, and yeah. that's what C.S. Lewis said. Either he's a, he's a lunatic or he's mm-hmm. God. He didn't, he didn't, give us any kind of middle ground and you know that and you saw the reaction to those guys Mm -hmm. um and we should all look at that and say was jesus you can't really go through the middle i mean there's he's the way the truth of the life or or there's the wicked you got the Mm -hmm. goats and the sheep yeah Um, and i think we all want to think that that we're the sheep and, and not a goat when we're really just all a bunch of billy goats (laughs) who need a shepherd (laughs) yeah and i guess it's it's perhaps christ's passion that that would hope would open our eyes the most to how true that that is um how apart from jesus we are we are doomed (laughs) there is nothing um our our um degeneration just perpetuates into places that we would we would never imagine ourselves to get to oh i could never see myself or i can never do that but we're just maybe not we just don't have enough of an imagination i think this this part of the story helps us to see how that is possible for us yeah and you know and i think todd had talked about i mean it's a way different culture now than what was back then but um, you know, for some reason, I think they, uh, I read somewhere where it's called chronological snobbery. Okay. We just think because we're further along in the mm. timeline that we're smarter than everyone else that has come along, um, technologies yeah. and advancements and I, you know, distractions have become more with whether it's social media and entertainment and it's just, you know, easier not to even think about it it's like nick said to be a convenient kind of a christian yeah um that's this i think that's the scariest thing to be lukewarm yeah they say yeah and i think that's also what the cross forces upon us is we you can't look at this story you can't look at jesus through this these these experiences and ultimately to the cross and be apathetic like it's there's a reaction. Um, there's a response. There might be an avoidance to even look at it or to run away from it as many of the disciples, I guess did, but, um, but it does sort of justify it. It requires something to re- a response to it. 
So let's go ahead and jump into the passage. I'll go ahead and share my screen and uh, we'll discuss the actual interrogation here. Um, but I'm going to read through it and then we'll just talk through it. I'll start by asking all three of you, you know, out of this whole passage, what's the part that that sticks out to you, that resonates with you the most, that connects with you, that repels you. So let me go ahead and uh, share my screen. And then- uh, oh, There's my dog, Moose, sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, hello, Moose. <laughs> all right, so let's, all right. Can you see my uh, Google Doc here? Mm-hmm. All righty. <clears throat> The interrogation of Jesus. The Roman soldiers, commanding officers in the Jewish temple guard, seized Jesus and bound him with rope. His first stop was to Caiaphas, father-in-law, Annas. Caiaphas, the high priest during the time, persuaded the Jews that it would be better for one man to perish for the sake of the people. In response to Annas asking Jesus about his teachings and disciples, Jesus responded to him. Everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues in the temple where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. The Jewish policeman slapped Jesus on the face and rebuked him. Is that the way to answer the high priest? Jesus responded. If I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Still bound up, Anna sent Jesus to the chief priest, Caiaphas. All the high priests, religious leaders, and scholars were gathered together when Jesus was led to the chief priest. Peter followed at a distance until the courtyard where he kept himself warm and watched how things would unfold with his denial of Jesus a mere moments away. Frantically looking for evidence against Jesus, the high priests and Jewish council conspired for a way to sentence Jesus to death. They found nothing. Several people were willing to bring fictitious stories, but their contradictory retellings weakened their case. Then two from the crowd voiced how Jesus spoke of destroying the temple and rebuilding it, but even their stories were not believable. It was then when the high priest stood up before the others and questioned Jesus. Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? Jesus remained silent. The high priest asked Jesus another profound question. I command you by the authority of the living God to answer. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Jesus affirmed the answer to this question. If I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer. But from now on, the son of man will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. They all shouted back at Jesus. So are you claiming to be the son of God? And Jesus replied, you say that I am. The high priest was aghast and tore his clothing to demonstrate his horror. Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? They cried out, guilty. He deserves to die. The high priests, religious leaders, and the entire high council met to discuss what would happen next with Jesus. Their plot to kill him was moving forward. The crowd around began spitting on him. After they blindfolded Jesus, the Jewish police struck him and mocked him, demanding this prophetic Messiah tell them who hit him. Ready to escalate the matter, they tied up Jesus, led him out, and presented him to the Roman governor, Pilate. So... What stuck out to you most? Um, 
or resonated with you most as we look at this. One of the things that was interesting for me um, is, you know, when when he's asked about his teachings and Jesus essentially defers to, hey, I've been public. I've been saying stuff. Um, why are you asking me about something that that you, you already know or could already know if you really wanted to? Um, which is interesting that that he would defer that way, but also that, you know, he's not, none of the things that they're accusing him or attacking him for are things that he said secretly, right? They were only things that were said publicly. Um, and so there's a bit of transparency there that's, that's interesting, that's, that stuck out to me. What about you guys? In one of the commentaries I was reading, the author was making a point where Jesus might be saying like, Hey dudes, like I've been doing this in the light of day. Y'all ain't arrested me then. So why are you a asking me about it now? Cause you saw me do it publicly, but why would you arrest me at night for something that you, <laughs> you clearly saw me today? And I think he was, um, the, the, the commentary guy was saying that was, one of his ways to basically say early on, like, guys, this is trumped up stuff. <laughs> like, we, yeah. We all do it. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's eliciting or illuminating their intentions is in a very precise way. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, often I think sometimes we have these type of discussions with other people and, and we skirt around that type of core, what's going on at the core level. And Jesus has a way of just sort of isolating what's really happening and responding in a way to address it. What what jumps out at me the more, especially the more I, you know, watch like The Chosen or go back and watch The Passion, my kids are watching a bunch of anime, right? Yeah. And yeah. I've never seen so much inner monologue going mm. on. And it's like these authors of these gospels don't give us insight into the inner monologues. So when I think of Pilate, which I know is not in this yeah. past, like we hear what he said, but what's going on in his mind, let alone what's going on in his heart. Yeah. So we're looking at the Sanhedrin high priest. The thing that stuck out with me is, you know, he's asking this question, are you the Messiah? Well, the fact that you're asking it might be <laughs> readably that there is some doubt in your mind whether I actually, that I actually could be. And yet you're proceeding with this trumped up stuff. And then when I confirm what you basically have told, telling me that I am the Messiah, you're in horror. Well, I'm saying, I wonder if in the heart and this inner, inner monologue, high priest mind and heart, he's like, there's a part of me that knows dang well that I might actually be about to crucify the Messiah. But my, priority or the sanctification of my political power or my prestige or my platform, I will um, gladly sell out <laughs> the son of God for that. <laughs> and I'm just like, ah, oh, dude, I wonder what's on this guy's heart really. Cause we don't really hear it. Well, that's, yeah, that's interesting. Like I, perhaps sometimes we forget, like they, they all had like real world tension or um, groundings, right? They, they were in power. They had, this thing or that thing they owned whatever they owned they had a business whatever um so it's interesting just to think 
you know, more specifically, like, well, if, if I do this, then I could, it could cost me a great deal in the, in the real world. Right. And, and I guess that's what I was trying to allude to earlier. was just that, you know, we've got all the distractions and everything now, but you have these people that were back there around it and they actually witnessed some of the healings, a lot of the healings and some of the miracles and, um, and they still didn't want to believe. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's not like it was Game of Thrones back then. It's not like they were walking around miracles everywhere. That's what was so incredible about the miracles that were happening. Um, oh, I see. You mean like the the miracles Jesus was doing were yeah normally versus just normal. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and it was it was the power of God, and it's not like people were just getting raised from the dead all the time back then. Yeah. Um, so it'd be easy just to, to, to question. I mean, it was, it was a miracle. Yeah. Um, and they still weren't believing, mm -hmm. you know, and they, they still had that pride in their heart. Um, so it's, it's easy to see how it's still the same way today. Yeah. But we, yeah. Can, we can like, any of us can try and get in Judas's mind or these <laughs> Pharisee minds, but like I'm very uneducated in like Judaism or Old Testament stuff, but like if Isaiah and Zechariah, they're prophesying that the Messiah is going to get be despised, going to be hated. Like, are they connecting the dots? Me, poor guy. They're, yeah, they're fulfilling <laughs> prophecy right then. <laughs> yeah, imagine when the guy goes. Someone's got to be the goat here, and yeah, I mean it's yeah, he's. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Nick. Uh, as I was, as I yeah. was reading it all, uh, there's a, a passage that jumped out at me. Um, it's actually from Psalms, but Jesus quotes it in reference to himself in all of the gospels, except John. And it's in a chapter where he's got tense interaction with all the religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, all of them. And he quotes this passage from Psalms about himself. that says this it's that he's the stone, the builders rejected. Mm -hmm. And all of these people in this passage are religious leaders. They are the builders. They're building something. Uh, and that passage goes on to be quoted by Peter in Acts 4. And then uh, later in 1 Peter, he quotes it again and says, quotes several other things around it. Uh, but they, you know, they've got an agenda. An agenda. Jesus yeah. said the common people heard him gladly. But those, and you kind of alluded to it before, those with something at stake. It's going yeah. to cost them something if this guy's right. He's yeah. the stone the builders rejected that becomes the cornerstone. So it's not just a mm -hmm. random stone that's being rejected. The cornerstone is being rejected because yeah. they've got another agenda. And, yep. and I, I think that, you know, that can be true with all of us. The things that cause us to miss what Jesus wants for us on any given day, month or year is if we have yeah. another agenda already and what he wants that we can't cram it and fit it into our <laughs> agenda. Uh, we have to let go of our agenda to embrace that. And that's what they didn't want to do. And I, I think often it takes the agenda being destroyed for us to finally let it go. It's not like we willingly give it up. It's usually run over by a semi truck and then we give it up. Right. And sometimes those mercies of God are, which seem like terrible things in our life are, are actually his mercy to, to give us, the life as opposed to the death that's inevitably coming. 
right? Yeah, I, yeah. Though I think there are some that cross that threshold, like they left their nets and followed him. So yeah. you know they could have said, "Hey, I got my career here. But what you've got is yeah. fine for religious zealots." But I'm yeah. a fisherman. I got a good thing but, going. But we even got, we even got a then, you know, fish. they they as this is unfolding, they could have been like, "Wow!" Like a friend was telling me, he said, "Well, what if what if Peter was thinking, I just spent three years with this guy, abandoned my fishing business, and now." And yeah. now it's all coming to an end. Maybe I should have stuck with the fishing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Had second thoughts. What's so. kind of interesting to me is that, and this may come off super ignorant. So a big asterisk. Right? <laughs> in, in the time of that passage, the political leaders were not even in the interrogation process so if you look in 2021 in america it's like if jesus was here right now like who's gonna bring him up for trial the georgia baptist mission board like <laughs> yeah like there isn't like that <laughs> one overarching religious entity that would have the, the respect or yeah. the authority to do it so then you start turning yeah. to the government which is um you know populated with Christian quote unquote Christian senators and judges on both sides of the political spectrum, you know, so if you like, would, would that happen today? Yeah. Well, you know, what could you see our senators or our judicial system being corrupt and doing something that would be clearly uh, against Jesus? Like, yeah. yeah, it seems to be happening. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, you know, what's interesting is with this particular scene, it, it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Like they came to, they hated each other, I guess, to some degree, but now they came together for a common goal. Yeah. I mean, to me, when you read it, that, that was one of the things, like when you, <laughs> when you start to read the passage and you start to read about, like all of the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law came together. And then it would be many testified falsely against him. Some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. And then you just have Jesus right there in the, in the middle of them. Yeah. Um, everybody deserted him. And yeah. And it's, it's, um, <laughs> there is an aspect of it that it, it feels as if they're talking about Jesus as if he's not even in the room. You know, like they're conspiring yeah. against him while he's in front of them. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting is, especially in Mark with how it's kind of structured, you know, that passage is in between Judas, who just yeah. betrayed him. And then the next passage is Peter disowns Jesus. Yeah. And then he's already surrounded by all the, it just gives you a, an example of how I don't know. It's just a great visual of mm -hmm. how everybody just left. Them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we won't necessarily dive into it in, in today, but, but Peter's denial is in parallel to this interrogation scene. Yeah. And one of the passages says, you know, when the rooster crows, he, he looks over at Jesus who's in this moment. And, um, and that's when he recognizes that the truth that Jesus prophesies then at the last supper that he would betray him. And so, so yeah, it's, there's a lot going on in this whole story in this moment. Um, I want to just go back to the beginning and we'll just walk through some of these pieces. So 
first I wanted to go back to the, so they, they, when they bring him into um, be interrogated, they, they stop at Caiaphas' father-in-law, Annas. So there seems to be a bit of nepotism going on <laughs> at first of this religious leader situation, but there's also like this weird patriarchal Caiaphas is sort of, he's not an official leader, but yet he's sort of controlling some things. Um, but what's interesting, and I just saw, I read this last night, but um, he says it would be better for one man to perish for the sake of the people. And um, last night, um, there's a passage in Job, um, and I don't know if it's a direct allusion, but, or uh, maybe it was in Isaiah. Now I'm getting it mixed up, but one, there's a scripture that actually kind of references um how the one the must i think it was referring to the messiah the one will die for the many and um so that was an interesting uh illusion um or connection i i don't know how specific that is in terms of john's trying to make that connection but um what's also interesting is you, we do have a lot of these details about what happened here we also know that a lot of these religious leaders became Christians after the resurrection. So they were part of Christ's crucifixion, but they were also part of his resurrection. And I suspect that's why we have some of these details in, in the, they, they shared them, but, but yeah, that's a separate piece of it. So um, does anything stick out to you both or to you three in regards to um, that statement better for one man to perish for the sake of the people and, and sort of Caiaphas is controlling nature of the situation. I, I wonder in this, at the time of this event, how it's not, it seems almost impossible that some of these scholarly Jewish leaders wouldn't start to tie these messianic prophecies in the, yeah. moments of what they were doing like dude you know it's like it's like yeah. so but i don't to that state well, could be that yeah because you would you would almost think that they've all had they probably have the torah memorized right it's not like they they don't know what's in it right is that what you mean yeah, yeah like literally it's like you know is there like as they're doing it like if there was if there was 90% of the um, religious leaders that were just like all ganging in trumped up <laughs> charges, like you think like 2% of these people would be like, I'm just sitting here observing, but like, isn't this exactly <laughs> what Isaiah was prophesying? Would well, and maybe, maybe there were, but they didn't voice it or maybe they were dismissed when they did voice it. But I, I would also like add to that, if there's even a slight possibility this could be the Messiah, maybe we should just consider that as part of how we re how we handle the situation. But I also think, I guess what comes to mind is things had sort of escalated to such a level that I think thinking almost went out the window. It was mm -hmm. just this rage. I don't know if rage is the yeah. right word, but this something. I don't know. emotional response yeah but i was sitting here when you just said that about not recognizing him how did they miss it and then you look here in john 7 
um, 27, he says, um, but we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I, I, there, it's, it's interesting how that reads because he, what's happening, it's happening exactly how <laughs> they say it's going to happen. He's there and they, they know where he's from. Yeah. But they're actually looking at him and he's the Christ and it, you know, they're all confused. They're saying yeah. there's no way that this is him. Well, and the the thing that I guess what comes to my mind is thinking about the pa- um Passover and the Exodus and Pharaoh. I mean, Pharaoh, you know, Moses would tell Pharaoh this or that and then this or that would happen and then this plague and then that plague and and Pharaoh he had like all these examples of, okay, this is going to happen if you don't do this. And then he didn't do it. <laughs> so it's like the intellectual piece, just, it wasn't enough to, um, to resolve that in that situation either. Right. Pharaoh could have prevented a lot of suffering on himself and his people, but yet he pursued, he, he pers- um, persisted in his, his pride and his, his arrogance. So You know, it doesn't really go into this, but it would seem like there's a pressure amongst the mass of the status quo. Like, we can't, we're really going to piss Rome off. Like, if we don't get this thing under control, we're really, we think it's rough now. Wait to see what happens if Caesar, you know, gets wind that we're all in turmoil down here and there's a bunch of, and really, you know, what it basically isn't that how they got Pilate and yes, yeah. Yeah. Like, this dude's yeah. king. Yeah. It's it really does seem like Pilate wants <clears throat> to release Jesus. I mean, it seems to be the, but he's there's something he's holding on to, which is his favor with Caesar and his power that <clears throat> that seems to take precedent. But I guess with these, with the religious leaders, what's interesting is. They're perfectly fine condemning Jesus, but they're also having Rome do the dirty work for them. <laughs> they're not the ones actually crucifying Jesus. They're, I mean, they, they are in indirect sense, but like literally doing it. And so it's, it's, it's this uh, hitman. They're hiring Rome to be the hitman. Well, they're correct me if I'm wrong, but they're not allowed to. Mm-mm. Yeah, but, they've got to have. But I think, yeah, that that there's a legal aspect, but I think there's also, I think there's an aspect of it that, that they, a self-righteousness that sort of allows them to, if they were allowed to, I I guess I would wonder if they, they still would do it or, you know, there's something about like not being the, because there's the, the, the religious cleanliness, like they won't go into Pilate's temple you know, like there's this, this weird um, legalism that, that they adopt that I think mm-hmm. gives them a cover for, um, for actually for the murder. So, yeah, but to... they're, you know, keep, keep in mind, they're also, I think as Todd said, they're kind of holding this kangaroo type court in the, in the veil of dark, Yeah. Um, you know, away from everybody. And I believe also, and correct me if I'm wrong, that 
if it had been a legal trial that based on whatever rules they had that even if he were to come back guilty that, that if it was official they'd have 24 hours <laughs> or something like that to um to think on it um but i think that's one of the reasons why they're trying to push this thing through at the right in the in the in the dark um, yeah i saw a commentary said there was like at least four well-known Jewish customs that were absolutely violated that in of themselves would have cost yep. this <laughs> And they blew through all four of them. <laughs> yeah, because really, you know, if the two guys that even the, you know, when they were talking about the temple, when they mis, misstated what, what Jesus had said, I mean, because they didn't agree, that right there would have been grounds enough for it all to be, to be done with. Mm-hmm. But they kept going until, you know, until Jesus, you know, was silent until he said, I, you know, I am. Yeah. Now, so at, at the beginning, you know, when he's talking to Annas and he's being questioned by him, you know, he responds with what, what I mentioned earlier, you know, I preached publicly. And then he goes on to say, if I've said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? And, you know, that's, you know, that phrase, if I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? I don't know. There's something about that that's, that kind of sticks out for me. Um, something well, about... always trying to trap him in, in what he said. Uh, in that same passage I mentioned about the stone the builders rejected, it said they sent spies in and they're yeah. the ones to try to trap him in his words. And they're the ones that ask him about we know that you know everything and you're wise and all that flowering you know, up. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? You know, that was just a way to, they're just looking for ways to trap him. They're not able to trap him in, in things that he taught because it's all sound stuff. So they're yeah. looking for another angle. Yeah. They know he's not teaching falsely, mm-hmm. but they know they don't like him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's, he's, he's sliding through their, their traps, I guess is what you could say. The translation you have here for, you must prove it. I got the translation. Um, then you must bear witness. And I think mm. that those, the, the depth and the distinction between those, you know, the, speci- terms, the specificity of it. Right. I, I think that invites some deeper investigation and consideration yeah so the next part is all the high priests religious leaders and scholars were gathered together um so this is when he's uh sent the chief priest peter followed at a distance until the courtyard where he kept himself warm and watched um Frantically looking for evidence against Jesus, the high priest and Jewish council conspired for a way to sentence Jesus to death. So part of this was a little bit, <laughs> when I was studying it, it felt like they should have been a little bit more prepared for this moment. <laughs> but it always feels like, oh, we finally got him. Now we got to figure out how we're going to falsely accuse him. <laughs> um, that was that was weird to kind of 
see how poorly executed that was. <laughs> Um, and then they're, you know, they're going back and forth and the two from the crowd voice, how Jesus spoke of destroying the temple and rebuilding it. But even their stories were not believable. Now, I don't know what the, I think with that one, they're trying to get him on like a rebellion type of a charge. Like he's physically going to go and blow it up. Um, or however you would destroy it back then if you didn't have explosives but i don't know what the angle there is is like is it just i don't know it's it seems um yeah, it's a hypothetical crime because it's not been yeah. destroyed <laughs> yeah he just said if you destroy this and i'll rebuild it in three days <laughs> what what it it's even strange to me like i've never been to jerusalem or kind of got a lay of the land so to speak was like yeah how how could this guy have been so disruptive so publicly and like these folks need judas to point out which one <laughs> one it is <laughs> well that that's what the the thing the thing that i guess i haven't been able to pinpoint but there are all these hoops they jump through like they could have just you know, just gone to a back alley and taking care of him, right? Like, yeah, there's this weird hoop jumping that they get them all selves all tangled up in. And it's, it's, I don't know, something interesting about that. I think well, there are different members of the, of the Pharisees, like Nicodemus and things like that, who are supportive of Jesus, though, maybe not as vocally as they should be, but they mm -hmm. stand up for him from time to time. So I, I think they don't want remnants of, anything left they want to publicly humiliate him disgrace him have him tried as a criminal and found guilty and then get rid of him yeah. versus keep, keep just it. make him disappear yeah. got it yeah that makes sense did we see that or like a couple times they tried to get him arrested for doing other stuff but yeah they were pretty clear in the commentaries like they had to do this in such a way that would like nick said it like satisfy the masses like this dude's not all that you thought he would be and we're going to prove it because the mm -hmm. high priest said it and Pilate agreed and so then the then the narrative becomes the high priest you know put to death a false prophet yeah things honky-dory they're, they're the hero now right yeah it was just a few days ago that a whole city was chanting hosanna as he's coming in on a donkey and putting palm leaves mm -hmm. down i think if they'd have done something fishy they might have had a uprising of their own to deal with yeah these guys are basically proclaiming him king again they're mm -hmm. still thinking physically but yeah they're, the, the masses are on jesus's side at this as he enters the city yeah so they're all they're accusing him they're accusing him that, that and then the high priest says aren't you going to answer for these charges what do you have to say for yourself and i think this is one of the most profound things that jesus does here and he does this several other times with Pilate but he's silent. Says nothing. Doesn't reply. Yeah, I mean, that goes back to, I mean, that's prophecy, right? Um, Is there a prophecy? Yeah, I mean, he was opposed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Mm -hmm. 
he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent so he did not open his mouth it's isaiah 53 7 okay so again he's fulfilling prophecy i mean they <laughs> they just yeah they're all part of history <laughs> well and yeah because if any of us were in this situation i can't imagine any of us would be silent <laughs> we would be no. trying to defend ourselves right yeah look at peter when you start looking at he's doing yeah. the exact o- opposite <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's blatantly yeah. blatantly um denying them mm-hmm. and they're not genuine questions you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. jesus knows that so yeah why why give a long explanation to a non-genuine question well and i do think there's a a strategic benefit in your in your point in the sense of he's he's allowing them to metaphorically hang themselves right he's he's getting them to get all tangled up and these false witnesses to to create confusion and um uh, but i think there's an aspect of our pride which christ did not have that that often fuels the need for us to justify or defend ourselves to other people vindicate ourselves to vindicate ourselves yeah and i think there's something here that that um our justification comes from jesus so we don't have to justify ourselves to others now it doesn't mean we can or shouldn't in certain situations but we shouldn't have this compulsion to justify ourselves right my hitting on something there no i think you're right i mean i think we all look (laughs) for ways to justify ourselves (laughs) or i mean i know i do i mean just think about like someone whether it's a family member or friend who misrepresents you maybe it's not big deal or maybe it's small or maybe it's hostile or maybe it's not but there is like this well well, i need Mm -hmm. to i need to set the story straight right that's Um, not exactly what i said (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it's it's not even like it's automatic it feels like so to just sit and allow ourselves to be misrepresented is an interesting exercise to practice Mm mm-hmm And I think there, there's an interesting tether to that, to anxiety, I think. Um, I think the anxiety might be part of what drives us to respond. Like we, f- we feel that ang- anxiety. And so we're trying to resolve it somehow. You got to wonder, you know, he's sitting there, trumped up charges. He's already asked dad to take the cup. Like, look, this is gonna go down anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know, in that sil- in that silence, is it, um, you know, acceptance of God's will and obedience? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because yeah, I think back to just yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, keeping in mind what he just said when they arrested him in in the garden. Yeah, um, you know, if he wanted, he could call twelve legions of of angels right there yeah um to but you know he's showing the greatest restraint mm-hmm. mm. yeah restraint that's interesting way to i mean he's 
you know, he, it's interesting because he's there not to, you know, they're judging him. He's on trial, but I mean, he's the judge. Yeah. Um, and he's there to save them from exactly what, what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. That's a good example of strength too. Like, um, yes. Definition I've heard like, uh, you know, real strength is knowing you can unwield it and having the restraint not to. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that's, you know, the restraint and then the, what he, what he does do or say throughout the whole experience. Um, I don't know if there, it's, um, it's all, it's all part of the, the point. It's all part of the purpose. Um, he, in other words, he's not going to say something unless there's, there's um, an important reason to say it or do something that, that doesn't warrant it as part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a big part of it too, though, is just the fulfillment of scripture, right? Isaiah 53, seven. I mean, all the way back from the beginning, especially when you look in what in Mark and even in John, um, you know, when with John the Baptist, I mean, everything's tying back to the old Testament. Yeah. Um, so from the very beginning to the end, um, right there, I mean, he's fulfilling old Testament prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, in the next part, the high priest asks him, and I, I it's really interesting that he prefaces it. He says, I command you by the authority of the living God to answer. <laughs> Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Like, I don't know. There's, it's so weird that he, it's so, I don't know. It's, it's what you would want him to say, but it's also like, there's something so mis mischievous about it or evil about it so because it's the the intention he's not interested in the answer he's interested in yeah. getting him to answer a certain way so that he can then condemn him and it seems like jesus kind of gives him what he wants and sort of expedites it because mm -hmm. just saying you're the messiah is one thing but that's not technically a crime you know, we'll yeah. all debate whether you're the Messiah or not, even if you say you are. Yeah. But I mean, they were all expecting a Messiah. So it's not a crime to be the Messiah. But, right. to, mm -hmm. but to go on and say, you'll see the son of man sitting in power at God's right hand. Like, okay, mm -hmm. you've just taken it to a whole nother <laughs> level in, right in front of all of us claiming, you know, do we need any more witnesses? He said right. it himself, you know. Yeah, he's that's interesting because. God. He's not just saying he's the Messiah. He's yeah. saying he's I'm saying about, he's He's God. I'm the judge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, what's so Andy, when you now they're, now they're ripping their clothes. You don't yeah, just rip Andy, your clothes if you say right. That. Yeah. Andy's it's fulfilling prophecy again because it's Daniel seven thirteen. I mean, so all throughout this, he's just they're they're again they're they're making history. It worked. <laughs> they're they're part of it. Well, and that, but what's interesting about what you said, Nick, is just the contrast because the first part, the first half, you know, they're essentially trying to deceive this whole situation and come up with false charges. They completely yeah. fail. And then Christ just hands them. All right, you guys couldn't do your job. So let me yeah. go ahead and give you, let me give you yeah. this carrot. I know how <laughs> this is supposed to end. Let me just expedite it. <laughs> so that's really interesting. Just the, the, how that's, how that plays out. 
Um, Because he says, if I tell you, you won't believe me. If I ask you questions, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. And that's where um, leads to him claiming. And then they cried out, guilty, he deserves to die. And now they had what they needed to kill him. Now, what's interesting here then is while they're convening, the crowd began spitting on him blindfolded him and struck him. Um, And that's, you know, some of this, I think the timing is kind of debated, but this plays out through the night. And I think in the mornings when they take him to pilot, but I guess I'm curious with this crowd part, are they, you know, is that just the, the rest of the religious leaders or were there a lot of people that weren't, religious leaders around here. I don't know. Yeah. So they got what they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So what? Yeah. I was going to say, and even that part too, I mean, when they're hitting them and mocking him and spitting him i mean again that ties right back into isaiah yeah um so <laughs> well that, that's where it's interesting like all right, if, yeah. who are these these people because they're yeah. the religion i mean the religious leaders they're they're doing things if, if this is yeah. them too they're they're doing things that's clearly wrong even to their own standard and how they're treating him um I thought it was interesting that um, if I ask you something, you won't answer it. One of the passages, in fact, I think all of them were that where the stone the builder rejected has become the capstone. Yeah. Um, uh, Luke 20, it starts off with them coming to him saying, tell us what authority you're doing all this stuff. Yeah. And he says, let me ask you a question. John's <laughs> baptism, was it from heaven or not from heaven? And they don't want to answer that question. Uh, <laughs> you know, if we say not from heaven, then the people won't like us. If we say from heaven, then why weren't you baptized? You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're kind of stuck. We don't have a good answer. So we don't know. He said, well, I'm not going to answer your question either. Then. So they, he kind of had a history of that comment. Yeah. Uh, if I ask you a question, you won't answer. And he asked them that before mm-hmm. and they, they wouldn't answer it. Well, I wonder then heated chapter, those people that were in all those moments, like the one you described, they, they must be in this moment too. Those religious people. Yeah. Some of them for sure. And so there is an aspect of this that that I wonder if it's coming back around, you know, Jesus is essentially confronting them for what partially what happened before as well. Yeah, before it was a public discussion with lots of witnesses and now it's, you know, in the kangaroo yeah. court with him tied up, you know, got different different circumstances. But yeah. Yeah. Full circle. Yeah. So what, what do we learn about Jesus in this passage? That he's God. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what is that? What is, what is it about that, that we learn? He's got poise. I mean, he kind of knows <laughs> what the score is. He knows what they're up to. 
He's yeah. unflappable, unravelable. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, he's teaching. Like yeah. he's cognizant that he's teaching throughout the entire, really throughout the entire passion. Mm -hmm. Never let a let any opportunity not be a teaching moment type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and the yeah. the the poise and and um, self restraint like. There's an aspect of like he's in this for the end game, like he's in it, it for the big picture. Yeah, and I, I think the other part of it is, you know, you can look at it as a moralistic thing. I mean, he <laughs> he's there because, I mean, just look at the people, look at the religious leaders, look at the. I mean, we obviously can't save ourselves, no matter Sermon on the Mount, no matter what his commands are. It's not about just following his commands. I mean, we need a savior. Yeah. And, and that's why he's there. I mean, it, well, and that's, you know, I mean, yeah. I, what's interesting about that is just, it's like, if this is the, the height of, of religion, man, we're in trouble. Right. And then Jesus is saying, you're not in trouble anymore. You know? Yeah. And like if our greatest teachers, our greatest moral, moral authorities are utter failures, then what hope do we have? Right. Right. I mean, and, and we've, you know, we have this story to go off of and to read. We have the Gospels and, and everything. And, you know, you look at those people back then, the people that had faith just lead, leading into it. Um, the, um, yeah. They didn't have that. Yeah, imagine not having, <laughs> having that or having just a fragment of Mark yeah. or a fragment of John or a neighbor that reads it reads a chapter every couple of weeks to the, to a group, yeah. you know, like we have an abundance of scriptures that are, <laughs> that didn't exist. then. <laughs> yeah. It, but, and, but the whole thing is too, I think we gloss over a lot of it. I can't remember who said it earlier, but you know, just even from just, I guess you said, Jason, being a nominal Christian or whatever, I think it's so easy. And I caught myself doing this and still doing it. You read, these stories, his trial, you read the crucifixion and we've read it so much. Sometimes it's hard. Some it's easy to, or it's easy to gloss over the, the pain part of it. And I think yeah. Todd, you had, you had talked about the inner monologue or Nick, one, one of you guys had mentioned that. And it's true. I think it's so easy to read this stuff and just to, to gloss over it without even thinking one iota about, about the emotions and everything um, that was going through through their minds. I mean, it's just easy to, to read about it. I feel like in this day and age and, and just shut it and go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Go on with your day without it impacting your heart. Mm -hmm. We're going to be, you know, in 2021, we we're playing out our part in this story. So we have prophecy or, or warnings from Paul and Timothy you know, false doctrines, antichrist. It's like, are we going to, how are we <laughs> going to be judged? In other words, if, if our generation were to be, as we are guilty of the, of the warnings that Paul teaches. Yeah. About. There's an aspect of like, I don't know if, if you've seen that video on YouTube or social, it's this lamb and it's stuck in this trench and someone is, pulls out the lamb yeah 
and it runs off and then it just runs right back into the trench and gets stuck again. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and it was like, this is my walk with Jesus, you know? <laughs> and that's, I think how it is. It's, it's like, we, we are going to fall for those false prophets and follow those antichrists. And thank God that he pulls us out of the trench when we do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what's so reassuring for me is that our degeneration, you know, the, the, the end game of that, like if it's up to me, then, then I could, I guess, try and stop my degeneration, but God essentially regenerates us through being reborn and the spirit. And so no matter if I get corrupted or when I get corrupted, like I know that God will restore me from that in any particular part of my life or relationship or whatever. And so I have this reassurance that he will always pursue me. And, and no matter how broken I get, he'll just, he'll rebuild me. Right. And there's something peaceful about that for me. Yeah. But you, you also have to, to seek too. There's, you know, and that's the thing where, uh, you know, you, even in Psalm one, you look at it and you have somebody that walks in the counsel of the wicked. And I love that Psalm because it, you know, you have the righteous and the wicked, but (laughs) I was asking myself, which one am I, (laughs) you know? And, and you see this, you're walking in the council with the council of the wicked. And then it's like a downward spiral. And then you're standing, you're motionless, um, with the sinners, and then before you know it, you're living um, with the mockers who are intentionally driving people away from their faith, and that's the yeah. real danger: is drifting away and not having that conviction in your heart that you need Jesus. Um, well, so what? Dive in. You said the mockers. Like, dive in a little bit the deeper. Scoffers. Into that. Yeah. What is well, that? Well, it's mean? just I, you know I feel like. You know, there's only when you look at it and you look through all the Proverbs and I mean, just throughout the Bible, right? There's in Jesus, the way, the the truth and the life. It's the narrow, the narrow path, the narrow gate. And all the other paths are pretty wide and pretty, um, I mean, they're hilly, but they all lead (laughs) to the same place, which is, which is death. And, you know, I think you're either righteous or you're wicked, but the righteousness we have is from Christ. Yeah. I think it comes down. Do we embrace righteousness in us or resist it? Yeah. And I just think, you know, it talks about on the sermon on the Mount, it says, Jesus says that, you know, I always used to love um, that scripture where it's, you know, don't worry about to, to tomorrow um, for tomorrow. We'll have enough worries of its own, you know, focus on today. And then, so when I was younger, I, I'd go out and I'd just spend all my money. Well, hey, I could get hit by a truck tomorrow. I just need to go out and, and live my best life. Um, but then you look at the verse right before it and it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all will be provided for. That's the key. I'm, you know, and if you get to the point in your life where you're so distracted or so, so bitter that um, you're you're not even seeking or listening because he stands at the door and he knocks. That's the real danger Mm. when your, your heart's not convicted. Yeah. And that's the scariest thing Um, because maybe you are reading that Psalm one and going, well, I know I'm not the wicked, 
and maybe I'm the righteous because I'm just a good person. Yeah. And that's not why Christ, it's not why Jesus did what he did in the, in the, while he was here, while he came here, he did it because we can't do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in a sense that the Sermon on the Mount is, is a fleeting standard we cannot meet <laughs> apart exactly. from Christ. Right. It's, it's despair without Jesus. Right. Yep. What else? What else do we learn about humanity and ourselves from this story? Keep a very loose grip on agendas because <laughs> agendas will blind you to what God yeah. wants to do. So you've got, you know, what, what are your so, plans? Yeah. Make that, that make that practical for us. Like what is that for us today in this world? How I mean, it's a manifest? million things. It's, it's today, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to work and do this and do that. Or, you know, as he, I think yeah. James don't say tomorrow, next year, we're going to go to this city. Then we're going to go to that city and, transact yeah. business is no 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 that's yeah. you're you're not thinking right you know that's that's a pagan way to think if god wills we may do such and such but you know yeah. don't presume go easy yeah. on your big plans yeah Whether that's you're gonna have dinner tonight at home or whatever just be open for god to redirect you know the day yeah and, and the life and i and i just think too you know and jason we've talked about this before i mean I know it's been my experience in my walk um, when my daughter got sick and passed away um, that the opposite of suffering isn't a blessing, but it's in the suffering that you will find the blessings. And I know going through what I went through, I considered my, myself a Christian, but it wasn't until I got into that hospital and watched my daughter battle leukemia to only to die five minutes five months later um to get to a point to where we literally just through the pain and the grief have to rely on him each and every day like totally rely on him and um some of the things that i count as blessings other people that may not see him as blessings mm-hmm. but they totally are um and what what, what is it that's different between them and you to see it that way. It's just that I, that to me, my whole, and there's nothing that's different. We're all, we're all sinners and we're all broken, but I know that I can't make it through this day without him, Mm -hmm. without being in his word, without praying. And that's not because I'm trying to achieve something. I'm just trying to find peace from my grief. Yeah. And, and, um, and what is peace? Peace is knowing what lies ahead. For me, having an eternal, eternal outlook, knowing that there is hope and that hope isn't in a job promotion or a raise, that my hope is in Christ. Um, that, that's the difference for me. At least that's where my hope is. Yeah. Um, so, if, But someone's like, well, that's just, you're saying that, but what does that really mean for me? Like, how do I, I, I can't, I can't 
I can't tell you what that means for them. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, like, where, when you, what would you, uh, how would you tell them to start? How would you tell them to start exploring that? I would tell them to start by getting in God's word, by, by praying. Yeah. Um, being intentional with, with trying to, to follow, to follow. Um, I, you know, I mean, to, to me, it was a matter of, of survival. Mm. Um, and I always had put, had put other things ahead of Christ or my faith. And, you know, if really, if he's, if he's not first in your life, then he, then he might as well just be last. Um, and I'm not sure I would have been saved any other way if, if, if my daughter hadn't have, have gotten sick. And now they talking about how it changes everything. Now that I know who she's with, she was six and, and you don't lose anyone you lose to heaven first off. Mm -hmm. And her story and his story through her story changed my life. Cause I thought I was walking a straight walk, but I wasn't. <laughs> um, and that, that was the biggest thing. And now that I know who she's with and where she is and what lies ahead, um, I can find peace in that. Yeah. Um, I couldn't, my dad died when I was 19 years old playing tennis and I was eaten up with bitterness and anger all the way up until my daughter got sick. And there's a, a, a big difference. Yeah. So I guess, you know, people could look from the outside and say, oh, God, well, that doesn't sound like a great life. But I got to tell you, even in the, the gut-wrenching pain that we have each and every day, the peace that we have in Christ each and every day, just being in his word and doing things like this. Like, to me, this is incredible just to be able to sit here and and have an open and honest discussions about Christ, man. I, mm -hmm. it, 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 lifts, it lifts me up. Yeah. Um, it lifts me up. And I can't think I going into that hospital, I'd never done this. <laughs> Maybe went to church <laughs> on Sundays, but I don't think I ever had a conversation about God, about Jesus outside of, of church, even if I had one in there. Yeah. So again, I just think it's being intentional. Yeah. Well said. All right. Yeah. I just talk too long. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, <you're good. laughs> well said. Thanks. <laughs> Todd, Nick, what are your final uh, final words for us before we wrap up here? Well, as Benji was talking, I was thinking of um, a, a couple guys in the in the Bible. I mean, most of the people that interacted with Jesus needed something physical. They were you know, a lot of a lot of healings and stuff like that. But there were a couple interactions of people who felt morally bankrupt. They felt something missing inside of their heart. And there are two contrasting stories. And one is Zacchaeus who, you know, was a terribly wicked man, really, and stealing from people and a tax collector and <laughs> lots of issues. But something about his encounter with Jesus, he crossed a threshold, I call it the threshold of faith, where he really saw Jesus and knew that this man could help him with the emptiness in his soul. And just right there, the, on that day said, if I've robbed anybody, I'm going to give them back four times. And, you know, <laughs> and Jesus said, another child of Abraham has been born tonight that, you know, Zacchaeus, you've you've done it. And the other guy's a rich young ruler. On yes. the outside, he had everything together. He's totally opposite of Zacchaeus. He's kept all the commandments since he was a child. 
and he's but he's still coming to Jesus. He still feels empty. So he says, "Teacher, what what do I lack?" And he says, "Oh, you know the you know the commandments." He says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done all that since I was little, but I'm still missing something, and I think you know what it is." And so he says, "Okay, I'll tell you what it is. Sell everything you have and come follow me." And the guy walked away. It wasn't a threshold he could cross. Zacchaeus could cross it with a life totally messed up, you know, totally, totally messed up. The guy whose life seemed mostly together, especially compared to Zacchaeus, couldn't cross that threshold. And that's the threshold God calls all of us to cross. And until we cross it, we're going to walk away sad like the rich young ruler instead of having a party like Zacchaeus is having. And Jesus is sad when he walks away too. But it, it requires that we let go of who we think we are and embrace Jesus and see him. And we do that and life makes sense. We don't do that and we're destined to confusion and poverty and more, more of our own self-inflicted yeah. misery. Yeah, you're right. And, and amen on that. And, you know, it says in Job, Job says, it just says, hey, God says, you know, I answer you once and you don't listen. I answer you again and you're just, you're not paying attention. So, I mean, God's talking to us in our circumstances. We're just, you know, we're, we're, we're praying for our own name's sake and, and looking for him to answer the way that, that we want him to answer it. And yeah. when he doesn't, we feel like he's not answering. Um, and that's the thing, right? So you go back to six thirty, uh, Matthew six thirty three, and it just says, but first seek his kingdom and his righteousness and, um, his kingdom and all will be provided for it's, and he'll provide what we need, you know, not exactly what we want or what we think we should have a hundred yeah. mothers, brothers, you know, it's, it's <laughs> just relationships galore. If we'll really abandon ourselves. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But this, unless the seed falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. <laughs> it doesn't have relationships galore. It's just rotting inside of its own self. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Todd, I just appreciate Benji sharing part of your story. Nick, look forward to hearing yours and a little bit of Jason's. And uh, likewise, blessed to be able to hang with some brothers and yeah. learn. Likewise, man, this has been great. Any opportunity to, to get together and, and share the, the hope and faith we have in Christ is awesome. Yeah. Well, thank Whether you all so much for. Not. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, exactly. I mean, if you guys want to get together and do breakfast, I can do this every once a week, man. I love it. I love it. I always feel lifted up. So. Cool. Where do you live? <laughs> I live in Buford. <laughs> oh, I used to. I used to live in Buford. I live in Delonica. Oh, do you really? Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, listen. Anytime you want to meet and get a cup of coffee or something, I'm. I'm or even to Zoom it, man. I'm, yeah, you yeah. Know, I'm, I'm sure God's always present on Zoom, too. I'll meet you at Beverly for Eggs Benedict. Hey, man, I would love to do that. Seriously. Let's do Let's it. Let's do it. Okay, yeah. I'm in. I'm in. We'll get together after we get off here. All right. Good. I, I sent you a LinkedIn invite today. Awesome. All right, cool. Cool. All right, well, well I'm looking you. forward to it. Yeah, looking forward to it. So thank you so much, you guys. And uh, have a Godspeed on, on the rest of your day. Peace, man. All Thanks, right. Jason. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Share Life. For additional stories and systems to live better and work smarter, visit jasonscottmontoya.com. 
That's jasonscottmontoya.com. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of Share Life.